This week's episode of the Velo News Podcast, sponsored by Whoop. Whoop is a fitness wearable that provides personalized insights on your performance of your sleep and how recovered your body is and how much stress and exertion you put on your body throughout the day. Every day when you get up, Whoop gives you a recovery score based off of your sleep, resting heart rate, and heart rate variability that can be used as an indicator for how to approach your day. Is it going to be a big day? Is it going to be a chill day? The app has built-in features like Strain Coach, which gives you targeted exertion goals to work out optimally at your body's recovery level. Whoop automatically detects and categorizes your activities, so there's no need to start and stop your workout. You can analyze your heart rate, throughout the entirety of your workout and also track your calories burned, max heart rate, average heart rate. It's the perfect way to train. The app also has a built-in sleep coach, which lets you know how much sleep you should be getting based on your expected activity level for the following day so you can wake up and be recovered based on your performance goals. You may have read or listened to some of our podcasts with Kate Courtney talking about how Whoop has helped her with her performance goals. Basically, it tracks your sleep, your heart rate, all these other factors, wraps it all together and tells you if you can have a big day, if your body's recovered and you're ready to take on, you know, some five-hour monster ride, or if you need to chill. Some days, hey, the motivation is there, but your body actually needs an extra day of rest, and Whoop is the tool that can tell you that. Okay, right now we have a great deal for listeners of the podcast. If you use the code VELONEWS, all caps, VELONEWS, at checkout, go to whoop.com, W-H-O-O-P. Again, code VELONEWS at checkout. You get 15% off. So you can sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter. Thanks so much to Whoop for sponsoring the podcast. All right, let's get on with the show. Welcome back to the Vell News Podcast. Fred Dreyer coming to you again from this mountain hideaway in Crested Butte, Colorado, where I am uh, walking around like a 90-year-old man this week. I went mountain biking uh, a ton this weekend, and God, I love mountain biking. It's so much fun. I have not done enough of it in the last 10 years, and thus my body is totally wrecked. So if I'm moving a little slow on the podcast this week, just know it's because I indulged in all the mountain biking fun uh, again. If you ever have the chance to come riding up here, do it. Um, got a great episode for you this week. I have uh, some more reporting on the topic of race in cycling with an interview with Dr. Marlon Moncrief, a senior lecturer at the University of Brighton, where he focuses on black British history in the 20th century. Dr. Moncrief is also a former elite cyclist, and he has written a book called Made in Britain, Uncovering the Life Histories of Black British Champions in Cycling. He reached out to a number of black riders over the last 25 years in British cycling and talked about how they were excluded from opportunities in elite sports and what impact that had on British cycling. Now, British cycling has been the most successful cycling program on the globe in the last 15 years. Tons of gold medals, 2008, 2012, 2016, all those Tour de France wins by Bradley Wiggins and Chris Froome and Garrett Thomas. And because some of these British riders were excluded from opportunities to race in the Olympics, win Olympic medals, be promoted um, across Britain, the uh, picture of British cycling that has been promoted to uh, British people has been extremely white. And Dr. Moncrief examines what impact that has when a sport is very homogenous in the way it's promoted and looks at the role that the media brands, elite athletics, plays in it. I just think it's a really interesting conversation and project that examines how all of these components of elite sports 
are connected, including the media, including outlets like Velo News and how they shape the way that a sport can be promoted inside a country. So uh, Dr. Marlon Moncrief, really appreciate him coming on. Um, That's coming up. Before we get to him, though, I want to talk to you all about something you may have seen on VeloNews.com, which is stories popping up on the website that have a gold star in the top left-hand corner. Those stories are part of our new membership program called Active Pass. It is a paid membership program, $99 a year, gets you an Active Pass. And look, there's a big backstory here. Um, Velo News, like all independent media outlets, has been looking at the changing shape of media and the media landscape. And we've known for a while we've had to change our business model. You know, when I first started at Velo News back in 2004, we put out a magazine every two weeks, each magazine was just full of like race reports and interviews. Basically, think of VeloNews.com, all the content we put there, wrap that up over two weeks, put it in a print magazine. And that print magazine was a great delivery vehicle for advertising. And um, Velo News print magazine had a robust advertising revenue footprint. And um, those days are gone. You know, the landscape has changed. And if you've read anything about what's happened with independent media and advertising in the last 10 years, you know that it's basically Google and Facebook control the advertising market. Yeah, some you know humongous percentage of all advertising dollars now go directly to Google and Facebook. And that means um, companies are no longer spending uh, money with independent media outlets like, you know, Velo News or the New York Times or Time Magazine or whatever. We just, you know, that whole part of the business model has been taken out. So... Independent media outlets have been thinking of ways to fund what they do. You know, there are more outlets than ever right now that repeat the news, that take other people's reporting and repeat it. I mean, that's basically what social media is. Um, There's fewer outlets, though, that are actually doing independent reporting, original reporting. That's what we do. And original reporting isn't free and it isn't cheap. You have to pay people salaries. You have to send them to races. You know, it's um, it's an operation that has overhead costs. And so we have been thinking of new models to uh, fund and fuel what we do. So the biggest um, challenge that we've had in these conversations over the last few years has been, well, how do we then deliver value to people who join our membership? And I am really excited with the package that we've put together for active pass um if you sign up for active pass you're not just getting um exclusive content on the website you're not just getting like daily stories um you're getting a ton so it's 99 dollars annual subscription um you get entry into the real massive elephant rock sportive a uh, big mass participant ride in colorado you also get a year's subscription to the online coaching platform Today's Plan. Uh, Today's Plan gives you thousands of workouts, um, access to coaches, to guidance. If you've ever wanted to try out coaching um, and have a performance plan around your cycling, this is a great way to do that. Um, you also get two cycling books from Velo Press. There's 66 different titles in Velo Press, books about training, recovery. Um, cycling history, how to work on your bicycle, so many different titles. You get two books from Velo Press. You get a print subscription to Velo News Magazine or one of our sister publications, that's Triathlete and Women's Running. You get pro deals from cycling industry partners, including Jordana and Scratch. We have a whole list of partners where you get pro deals from them. 
And then, yeah, you're getting daily exclusive content on the website. Some of that is magazine content. Some of it's going to be exclusive um, digital content. Um, we are we purposely did not want to take stuff away from VeloNews.com. So if you're, hey, if you're a free reader of VeloNews.com, you're still going to get the news, analysis, roundtables, reporting, the same type of stuff you've always gotten. The one thing that's not on there anymore, magazine content, those big, long magazine features that we spend a lot of time, effort, and resources towards putting together, those are going to be behind membership. But the stuff, you know, when I look at the value and the breakdown, I, I, I think it's a really compelling package. So Registration for Elephant Rock, that's 115 bucks. An annual subscription to today's plan is 150 bucks. Velo Press Books, they're kind of in the $18 to $25 range, so two of them. Um, subscription to Velo News Magazine, $39. You have all of the industry deals. My guess conservatively is it's about 350 bucks in value for the $99 um, Active Pass membership. And it's not done that's the other thing is like we keep our we are being creative we're putting our heads together to come up with other things that we can put into active pass one of the projects we're working on right now i can't tell you too much about it other than to let you know that it involves the 50-year history of the velo news print archives that's right race reports athlete interviews feature stories going back 50 years um, and that's a project that we're working on that will be in Active Pass as well. So, I, you know, I would appreciate it if y'all at least check it out. You know, it may be for you, it may not be. I get it, I understand, but it's a membership program that we've put a ton of thought and effort into, and a lot of that thought and effort has been driving value. You know, this isn't this isn't like the tote bag that you get because you gave to NPR. This isn't the mug that you got because, you know, you bought a New York Times subscription. Um, this is a membership that I feel drives a ton of value for uh, people who are interested. And, you know, if you've ever wanted to try coaching, today's plan, that's a great opportunity. You ever want to do a Real Massif event? You ever wanted to read a VeloPress book? Um, this is an opportunity to get all that uh, in one stop and also support us here at Velo News with the reporting that we do. So again, Active Pass, check it out on the website. Okay, let's get on to Dr. Marlon Moncrief. My guest today on the podcast is Dr. Marlon Moncrief. Uh, Dr. Moncrief, Marlon, is a senior lecturer at the University of Brighton. Uh, he focuses on black British history in the 20th century. He's a former elite cyclist. And his book, Made in Britain, Uncovering the Life Histories of Black British Champions in Cycling, really focuses in on uh, black British cyclists who have been competing during this era of um, British dominance on the track and the Olympics, which is an era in which Britain cyclists who were winning the Olympics and heavily marketed to the populace all were white. And, um, you know, that act in itself shows how elite sport um, whether passively or actively, can be used to exclude people of color from the sport. Um, you know, Marlon, I'm really curious how the idea for that book, how it, how it came to be for you. Oh, for me, for the critical moment, um, I guess, well, actually carrying out the research was the London 2012 Olympic Games and some of that, that I like called the velodrome of whiteness. So I term it that, but just reflecting back on those moments, of course, I'm, 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 a, I'm a British man, you know, I'm a black British man, and I want Britain to win, you know, I, I, you know, um, but it, it, 
in that particular velodrome, it was it was almost an an orgy of imperialism, white imperialism going on with the heroes that were being crowned and the sea of Union Jack flags and you know you know um, amongst amongst the white faces. And, and for me, being a black man who'd been in the sport for twenty years, you know you know my mentor you know that, that brought me into the sport was a white man. You know you know so you know I, I, I was welcomed in it, but at that particular moment. Um, of, of the Olympic Games through the sort of celebration and the, tri- and the triumphalism of it all and the heroes being crowned, I felt quite excluded by it. And the big question that came to my mind was, why have not Great Britain produced a black British road or track cycling athlete in all these years? Um, why they why, why they all been white? So that was the trigger for me to sort of make meaning of the of the situation for myself. And so I knew who to go and ask. I, I knew of the black British champions that I could ask. And so I decided to carry out the research from that particular point, really. And, you know, there's in my conversations with some of the other African American, for some African American cyclists in the past weeks, you know, we've talked a lot about active racism and passive racism as it pertains to sports and how, you know, Passive racism is sort of how a sport maybe is covered by the media or marketed. Active racism is when there are, you know, people in the, the, the levels of the sport who are actively, you know, making decisions against uh, black British cyclists. Let's tackle, tackle the active racism part first. I mean, in your conversations with these um, British cyclists, I mean, did you come across what kind of uh, anecdotes and stories did you come across of active uh, racism? Active racism. Well, I guess... Um, that was more apparent in the earlier stories. So, for example, with Maurice Burton, you know, Britain's first black British you know, champion cyclist in the 1970s, he'd often go to training sessions and be called a coon, you know, um, by his, his white sort of um, peers. And, you know, he, he, you know, he didn't, when, when I spoke with him, he said he didn't, he didn't react to that because, um, you know, he didn't, he didn't know how to. Um, but, um, um, I think when you look at his experiences and when, when you look at Russell's experiences as, as well, um, you know, I think Russell, Russell, um, R- Russell Williams was a British champion um, from, 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 from the 70s all, all the way through to the um, early 20, 20, you know, since the 2000s as such. And he, he spoke of an experience that he had in America, actually, when he was racing in America. And... Um, um, it was in it was in one of the southern states. He didn't tell me which one it was, but he said that when he um, moved to live in a particular part of that um, um, America, um, he moved in with his wife and his daughter. Saw the neighbours. The next day, um, he saw a burning flag on his um, so a, a burning cross oh, on his lawn. On his lawn. <clears throat> so obviously, um, obviously, the neighbours didn't like the sight of um, a black man. Um, coming into their particular vicinity, so they kind of like you know, passive racism or active racism. It was it was a symbol of racism that he faced um, in um, during his time in the USA. But I guess I guess most of the cyclists, um, you know, talking about Morris Russell, David David Clark's another one that I spoke with. Um, Christian Light um, is is was was a world junior um, um, champion on the track. Most acts of racism have been more sort of passive and subtle, um, and um, and so you know, as a 
black person, you can understand what's going on, where you're being left out of the Olympic team or where you're being left out of world championships. It's because of the fact that it's, it's your skin colour. So I've got some testimonies that, that state that fact, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm really curious in, into digging into that. I mean, here you have this national program that's trying to, you know, develop talent. Yeah, it's trying to give um, talent opportunities at the high end and trying to select the best teams for winning medals. But really also it's trying to develop riders from a young age and, and from the bottom all the way up. And it's, you know, it's it's really unfortunate when you hear testimonies and stories like that of people saying like, well, I don't feel like I was given the opportunities that white cyclists were, even though, you know, I had the same amount of talent. We had similar results, um, that type of thing. And I'm curious what kind of, well, I mean, what's the psychological impact that that has on athletes when they feel as though they've, they're being passed over just because of the color of their skin? Yeah, I mean, Trey White was... Um, another cyclist, a black cyclist that I spoke with, you know, he was a BMX, of course, he was not road and track, but um, he, he said many times that he just, he just wanted to leave the programme. You know, um, Trey White um, is from South London, a place called Peckham in South London. And uh, I guess the stereotypical notion of that area is, is sort of gangs, you know, gangs, you know, people, you know, hoodies who sort of go around the street. And I guess when he went to Manchester as a young, young sort of cyclist, um, he told me a story that um, he, he, he brought his car to the car park and um, the impression that they gave, you know, it was, it was, his, it was his car, he, he, he bought his car, but people were saying, oh, Trey's bought a, a stolen car to the car park. Um, you know, you know, it's a stolen car and everything. So what happened with Trey is that he got telephone calls from the big bosses saying, look, you, 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 you've got to move that stolen car from the car park. We, we don't want it in there. So instantly, because of his racial background and and, and 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 the area that he came from he was he was he was he was skating he was he was tired with that particular brush he must be from the hood he must be a gangster and we've got to watch this guy because because of that because he's walked into a white space and he's bringing that kind of mentality with him so uh, that, that 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 sort of experience you know made him want to quit the program but he, you know, he, he didn't quit he, car he carried on he won himself a world bronze medal um at the 2014 BMX Supercross. But yeah, um, Christian Light's another one as well. Um, he didn't feel comfortable at, at British Cycling and but he was often overlooked um, to, to, to ride in World Cup races compared to his, his peers, even though his times were almost equal or even better than his peers in, in training. He, he was never picked to represent Great Britain at a World Cup whilst, whilst his peers was, even though he was a three times world junior champion. So, just shows you that when you walk into these um, white spaces, you know, um, as a black person, you can be treated differently. You know, the topic of, of white space and cycling and its impact on black riders is something that we discussed last week with some amateur riders who are in New York City. There's a, um, a club, Major Taylor Iron Riders. It's predominantly African-American, Asian, and Latino. And I was asking the riders about their experiences first getting into the sport. And they said, you know... You go to these races and it's mostly white people. And as the, you know, there's one or two black people and like, people aren't mean to you, but they're not like coming up and saying what's up. And, and there's, it, there, there's a, there's a, enough of a level of discomfort that when you get into the dynamics of cycling, which is making someone else suffer and making someone else hurt and like, it's tough and it's mean. Like if you have a dynamic where you're not comfortable 
around the people that you're doing the sport that makes you suffer and make you hurt versus when you're going through that, you know, in a, in a club or a setting where you're around people that you're, you're comfortable with. It's like, it has such a huge impact on your relationship with cycling. That was the perspective that they gave me. And I'm curious if, you know, you came across any perspective or stories like that in your research too, which is just like the discomfort of being a black person in a very white space and Mm. how the dynamic of cycling and the training and the suffering fits into that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, the cyclists that I, you know, it's, it's at, you know, I speak to the elite and professional element of the sport, but I, I've also tracked um, where they, you know, you know, in terms of, it's, it's called Made in Britain because I, I wanted to know where, where they were from and how they got into the sport and, and was there an ease of access for them into the sport. And in fact, all of the cyclists from Morris in the 1970s to the current day say that their, their access into the sport was, was fine. Um, you know, they're, they're able to access clubs and, and they, they've got themselves coaches, um, mentors. Most of these guys were white guys, as white people or white families who helped them in the sport. Um, the, 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 the tension for them in these white spaces comes when they start to win national champ- championships or big races, okay, where the stakes are higher, I guess. You know, the stakes are higher. Um, there's more prize money. There's more prestige. Um, you, you're, 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 you're beginning to make a name for yourself, and um, you start to be othered in that respect. You know, you're seen as the other, and so yeah. I mean, there's you know, there's plenty of examples of that. Morris gave a gave gave a nice example of when he went to the um, yeah yes, yeah, he went to the 1976 no sorry 1974 Commonwealth Games as a you know as a as a British champion, and um, there was an invite to go to a garden party that was being held by the Duke of Edinburgh, and he saw his name on the sheet. Okay, but the coaches thought actually we don't we don't want Morris to go, so they scrubbed his name off the list and they let a, a, let a, a white rider go instead. So it shows you that <clears throat> it shows you that whilst Morris was in that particular white space, they didn't want him to represent. Great Britain, that that party of of of, of big dignitaries, if you want, um, and you know, similar to what Trey White said about his experience of, of selection for the Olympics. You know, um, there were questions about his um, sense of allegiance to the, the, the British flag in terms of you know, uh, he, he felt that they felt he felt that they felt embarrassed of him putting on 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 the British jersey and you know so again he felt other in that white space so I don't know I think I've tried to answer the question when 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 these cyclists sort of moved on from grassroots to elite level and and and, and to professional level that is where that is where the sense of othering occurred the most for them and the sense of discomfort occurred more Again, you heard me mention it at the top of the show. Today's episode is sponsored by Whoop, the fitness wearable that provides personalized insights on the performance of your sleep, how recovered your body is, and how much stress and exertion you put on your body throughout the day. Each day when you get up, Whoop gives you a recovery score based on your sleep, resting heart rate, and heart rate variability that can be used as an indicator for how to approach your day. Is today going to be a big training day? 
or a legs up on the couch day, Whoop will tell you the app has built-in features like Strain Coach, which gives you target exertion goals to work out optimally at your body's recovery level. Listeners get a great deal on Whoop. You can get 15% off by going to Whoop.com. That's W-H-O-O-P.com. Enter the code VELONEWS, all caps, VELONEWS, at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, train smarter, optimize your performance with WHOOP today. Okay, let's get back to Rasan and Alan. And that obviously has a huge impact on the way that a spark sport can be marketed and the types of people that it can be attractive to. I mean, here in the United States, we had the 1984 Olympics with Nelson Vales when he won a silver medal. And there is an entire generation of um, black cyclists who say, hey, you know, I traced my fandom or my interest in the sport back to Nellie Vales in 1984 and his success. And, you know, having the opportunity to be on that stage, to have that success, then helps other African-American black riders get into the sport. So, I mean, what you're describing is like, these riders aren't even giving that opportunity. And what that leads to is what you write about is this 2012, um, you know, Olympics with the lionization of Brad Wiggins, with the mod culture and Victoria Pendleton representing Britannia and sort of this successful sport being marketed to the country with only white people. And, you know, the, the, the impact of that is that black British athletes who might otherwise choose cycling look at the sport and say, uh, you know, I don't see anyone who looks like me in that sport. It's a completely different world, isn't it? I guess, I guess, um, you know, what, what we were talking about earlier in terms of like, you know, that, that reification of British empire and, 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 and culture through, um, has come through those particular cycling heroes. And, um, you know, this, this is what the media has done. It's, um, it's, it's, it's said that, okay, if, if, you know, cycling is a sport um, that, that relates to white British history and white culture because, you know, because, you know, you know, these, these are our, our, our heroes who, who have p- p- produced the goods at the Olympic velodrome. I guess, um, I guess, you know, with people like Morris, like Russell, if they were given the opportunity, if, 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 if Morris were given the opportunity to ride at the, the Olympic Games, if, if Russell were given the opportunity to ride at the Olympic Games in 84, and if they were, if they, if they would have got onto the podium, um, perhaps they, that, that would have grown um, some black British champions of the future. A bit like Bailey Thompson at the 84 Olympics and, um, um, and at the um, 88 Olympics as well. Um, where, where the Great Britain Athletics team, you know, it's much more diverse, it's, it's much more, more multicultural because those seeds have been grown. Um, but it's, 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 it's interesting that you, you speak of, of Nellie Vales. There haven't really been many black American um, cyclists come through after that, you know, and I, I find that quite strange as well because, um, you know, the, the USA seems to produce quite a lot of black athletes, you know, in the 100 metres or 200 metres, they've got the same physique that a track sprinter would need. And uh, I find it quite strange that, you know, that that the USA haven't seen that potential in their athletes, whilst countries like France, for example, have produced Greg, Greg Bourget. Um, so, yeah, it shows you that within within the higher bodies of, of cycling, the, the USA Cycling Association, that, you know, within British cycling as well, there seems to be um, a sense of what kind of athlete that they want to represent their country. 
um, in international events. And that doesn't seem to be a black athlete. Yeah, Marlon, and you know, you've you've also written about how the media fits into this, and you know, reading the columns that you've written, and um, you know, reading the tweets that you sent me the a couple of weeks ago. I mean, it's definitely gotten me, someone who's in the media, to think differently about it. And and you know, in a conversation I had two weeks ago with Rasan Bahati, um, he really hammered it home too, which is that you know, the cycling media lionizes the pinnacle of the sport. So like American cycling media, we're lionizing the tour de France, you know, Hey, the tour, it's the biggest, the best, you know, race out there. The Americans who are going to the few Americans who are going to get to that level to race the tour de France, we're going to raise them up on this pedestal. And, um, those Americans happen to be white. Um, you know, we do have black cyclists who have come through our system. Rassan's one of them. And, you know, he didn't make it to the tour de France level. And he talked about, some of the things that we were talking about, hey, I'm in a white space. I don't feel comfortable. You know, I don't feel like I'm getting the same opportunities to fail given to me. I'm going to school at the same time. You know, I have different things in my life that maybe are influencing my performance along that pathway. And because, you know, he doesn't get to that pathway for all these different reasons. Cycling media, we don't cover him the same way that we might cover some white kid who made it to the Tour de France. Oh, look, this guy, he's hes really the pinnacle of the sport because he made it to the Tour, which we see as the pinnacle. And, you know, it, you call it passive racism, call it active racism, it feeds into this cycle, it feels like, that um, that uh, speaks to representation and the lack thereof. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. I think, um, I think those stories um, are... They need to be investigated to understand, you know, what what the rupture is, you know, what what exactly the, the, the rupture is that prevents um, black athletes from 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 going on. I think, I mean, I, I've spoken to um, some British journalists about this as well, and you know, what 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 I, what I said to them is that you know, your focus has been on has been on the African cyclists, and some, you know, you know, you know, and 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 the French black cyclists over there, and whilst. You know, you, you should have been looking at your own country to understand. Okay, look, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, there are still white, you know, still dominant, dominantly white cyclists that are representing Britain at the Tour de France. What about the Black British cyclists? Why, why have we, why have we been focusing on Justin Williams in America and and Nicholas Delamy um, in 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 South Africa? You know, what what about what about our proper Black cyclists? And I think you know the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, has been a bit of a wake-up call for them to sort of aim to, to sort of aim to examine the history um, of Black British cyclists and to understand why there has been a rupture or, 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 or why people aren't coming through. And I think this this research that I've done, this book that I've done, will help them to understand that. And hopefully, um, you know, it might they they, they, may, they may start to champion some future Black cyclists to represent Britain at these events. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, what kind of response have you gotten from reporters? I mean, this is this is not an easy topic for people in the media to really um, look at themselves through. You know, hey, I am part of a problem. You know, hey, my reporting and my work and this thing following the sport that I love and trying to get people to love it. In doing so, I've actually been part of the, you know, machinery that excludes people from the sport. I'm really curious what the response of reporters has been like that you've talked to. It's safe to talk about it now, though, isn't it? Because, like, um, I guess pre, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, when I say, you know, I might be wrong, but I guess pre Black Lives Matters, if if a reporter came out with, oh, wait a minute, 
where are the black British champions in cycling? They'll probably be knocked down by their peers. Wait a minute, we're, we're not interested in that. We're interested in Scotland at the Tour de France. What are you talking about racism in, in sport for? Or, or maybe, maybe racism in, in, in cycling is a bit, is a taboo sub, subject, a bit like drugs are in cycling. You know, it's something that, 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 um, that the white media know about, but they don't talk about it. You know, you know, we don't talk about that. Because that's 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 the dark side. We just we just try to present the light side. So I think I think the Black Lives Matter movement has given people um, the opportunity to talk about it, but they shouldn't stop talking about it. I think I think if they want to see if they want to see advance if you, you want to see advancements in the sport, if you want to raise the bar, if you want to you know we need to look at um, we need to look at that from 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 different perspectives as well. I mean, um, and, and and that means including different athletes, black athletes. Um, um, and aiming to see how far they can go, given 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 the backing, given given you know, you know, the resources and, and the backing of the press of the, of the industry, you know, it, it could become a challenge, you know, between the USA and Great Britain. Who's going to be? Which country will be the first to produce a black cyclist stage winner at the Tour de France or something like that? You know, it, it, it could be a race, or you know, or you know, you know, why not? Why not? You know, you know. It, I mean, it, it could it could become something like that, and you know, it, it shouldn't be used as a tool, but perhaps it, it could be used posit- positively to to keep the conversation going. So, yeah, I think people I think people in, in, in the media have got access to speak about it now, but it shouldn't just be a one off thing. I think they need to look at it more in depth and to, and to, and to understand why um, black people haven't been able to, to make it in the sport and aim to try to champion more inclusion and diversity and the way to do that is to is to um go to the go to to sort of invite more oral testimonies um to 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 be heard yeah when you've been looking at other sports though that that you think do a good job of it. I mean, sports that maybe in the past were white dominant or only whites that have found a way through media and promotion and inclusion and development to get uh, more people of color involved. I mean, what are some examples that you've seen? What are some success stories that you that you've seen? Well, you you would have thought that um, golf. You know, when Tiger Woods came onto the golf scene, you would have thought that maybe that you know, okay, this is going to lead to a crop of Black golfers, but that hasn't happened in, in in the UK. I think there might maybe be one or two golfers in, uh, in in the USA that may have come through with sort of black heritage. Um, but I guess sports that come to mind over here: football, you know, um, soccer in, in America. You know, um, in 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 the seventies, there were one or two or three black um, um, footballers, um, but now. Uh, you know, you know. Again, the the, the the England football team in the sixties and seventies was all white, okay. And when when England won the World Cup in sixty six, they were all white players. But if England get the chance to win the World Cup next time, it's going to be a multicultural team. They may even have a black captain as well. You know, we don't know. But that 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 would be more representative of of um, the, the fan base and the and the support base for football. It's very multicultural. And you, you wouldn't really say that about road, road and track cycling, that, that the fan base is, is multicultural. It's very white. Um, but again, post-2012, two, post especially over here in, in the UK, um, lots of, you know, the sport's becoming a bit more diverse at grassroots, especially in places like London and Manchester. And so if, if, um, if cycling, if track cycling, if road cycling can, can aim to sort of 
generate more representation of of black people, then then um, we may see some change. So it, it needs to start with a crop of of really um, talented young cyclists, and if if they can be given the backing, and if they can make it, then we may see, see some changes similar to what we've seen in football. So it's I think it's, it's a case of allowing more black people to represent Great Britain on the world stage. And uh, I think I think that, that may help. So yeah, I think football's done that. But I can't think of many other sports. I guess gymnastics may have done that a little bit with Joe Lewis, who's come through. Um, um, rugby's quite different because I guess uh, rugby and cricket tend to take people of colour from around the world, you know, you know, whoever, whoever they want sort of in that particular team. But I guess your football is probably the best example of as, as to how as to how the racial dynamics of a international team of books has changed. Also, athletics as well. I didn't mention athletics, did I? Um, so yeah, again, you look at the Great Britain athletics team in, in the sixties and seventies, all white. Once you get to the eighties, you've got people like Tessa Sanderson, Bailey Thompson, um, and now when you look at the Great Britain athletics team look across the disciplines, it's very multicultural. So. There's been access and, and there's been change and people have been given the opportunity because people have seen the talent in those athletes and how those athletes come into the sport to raise the bar, to set new standards for everybody. And I think black athletes in cycling can do that. Um, so it's up to us in, in the sport, the media, um, the cycling industry, professional teams um, to, to look to present differently um, in order to advance. Um, yeah, that's the way that I see it. Yeah. And again, I mean, I think that your work has really captured how all of these systems are intertwined and how they work together regarding elite sports, how, you know, grassroots developments, giving opportunities to black cyclists, getting them to the next level. Okay. That's one part of it. Then marketing them and getting brands behind them and getting, you know, companies to help, push their image and their likeness and their story to a p the population and make them heroes is another part of it. Then there's the media, which comes in and looks at, you know, who are these as real people, you know, s selling them even more, telling their stories, getting them um, mainstream acceptance that that helps drive a next generation of black athletes to want to get into the sport. And, you know, like I said, we've asked the, you know, ask questions and done interviews with elite riders and amateur riders and cycling clubs. But I, I just feel like your intellectual look at how, from a 30,000 foot perspective, this, all of these systems are intertwined. Um, it, it's been really fascinating. No, thanks very much. Uh, yeah. You know, looking at, looking at the, um, the way in which sport, the media and society um, are intertwined in terms of how they communicate um, you know, um, the world to us is, 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 is really important to understand because it tells you as a human being in terms of your identity where, um, it's, where, where, you're where you're likely to be accepted. And I think, um, you know, some people do accept that, but some people think, actually, I love this sport and I'm not going to accept that. I'm, 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 going to, I'm going to challenge that. And I think um, what you'll find from... The stories of Maurice Burton, for example, Russell, most most of the cyclists, in fact, that I've spoken to, even though the system was telling them to not be 
you know, not 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 to take part. They kind of defied that. And I thought, no, no, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna live my dream. I'm gonna, and you're you're not gonna stop me. I think Morrison's story is is is, is perhaps most significant with that because yeah, I mean, he won three national championships in the seventies, and he wasn't getting selected to go to the Olympics. Say, like, well, okay, I'm I'm just gonna leave this country, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm gonna go and race at the six day events in, in in Belgium across the continent, and and that's how that's how he made his name. Through racing through, through, through the likes of Eddie Merckx and so on, you see. Um, so, it, it, you know, the, the Olympics wasn't the be-all or the end-all for him. It was about being a, a professional cyclist and not allowing a system to stop, stop, stop him from, from becoming that. So I think I think that's an important lesson to learn from Morris's story. Same for, for Russell as well. You know, the system didn't allow him to go to the 1984 Olympics, but still he was able to become a professional um, to have some respect from his peers, to win lots of national championships, to live his life. So I think that's an important take out of the research that we need to share for up-and-coming cyclists. Mm-hmm. Well, it's Nave's Dr. Marlon Moncrief. Uh, Marlon, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Where can um, listeners, you know, listen or learn more, access your book? We're going to have a column running this week on velonews.com written by you. Uh, but for those of the those listeners who want to learn more about your book and read more about you, where, where can they go? So what they can do is they can, they can come to um, the University of Brighton Sports, Leisure and Research Group website and you can access a lot of my work through that. So that's www.brighton.ac.uk and just sort of Google my name, Dr. Marlon Moncrief, and you'll be able to access a lot of my materials. Um, articles that I've written for magazines, excerpts from the book from that as well. How much are you riding these days? How much am I writing? Riding, riding your bike. Riding, I'm riding my bicycle. Um, quite a bit, quite a bit actually. I mean, I, I was more of a sort of track sprinter to tell the truth at the end of things. I did start off as a time trialist on the road, um, just short time trials. But um, no, I, I still get out. I still get out and, and ride with my daughter. Um, we do what? I'd say about 200k a week. It's not much. It's not much, but it's, it's very, it's very hilly around. It's not, it's not as mountainous as where you are. <laughs> but um, if you're, if, you know, I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite a heavy guy now, and so getting up the hills is, is, is tougher. Um, but no, yeah, we still go out. We still practice lots of sprints. That's important for us. We, we love our sprinting, and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's part of my life. You know, I wouldn't stop it. You know, I've got quite a few bikes in the shed there. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome, Marlon. Well, hey, next time I'm down in Southern England, you're gonna take me on a ride. Uh, we'll check. We'll check out some of those hills. You'll, we can we can sprint each other for the town line. I tell you what, I'll take you to the 1982 World Championship circuit at Goodwood because that is right on my doorstep, and you can see. Um, I think Greg Lamont will he be coming that? Did he come for 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 that one? Or he was he, up he, there. He, he was up there, so you can see. I'll take you to that exact hill. All right, where he was attacking people. And you can be, yeah, this is cool. You're on. Great, Marlon. Well, hey, thanks again for coming on the podcast. Uh, again, Dr. Marlon Moncrief, my guest. Um, and thanks for tuning in to the Velonews podcast this week. Catch up with you next week. Mm-hmm.